0: Friends, we are indeed in Philippians chapter 1, which is different than our Acts series, uh, because there's something very heavy happening in our church body right now. There's a precious member of our church whose name is Haley. She's 24 years old, and she is seriously, seriously sick with cancer. And we've been walking with her as a church body. Many of you have joined us in prayer and serving that family, coming alongside of her She's a Dutch Fork grad. She's 24 years old. She's engaged to be married. And where we would have been starting premarital counseling this month, instead we are sitting in her home with hospice. And I know that God can do a miracle. And we have prayed every single day that he would do that miracle but then we also open our hands and we entrust ourselves to God's will for this precious girl and for her family. And so as we've walked through these last few months and especially this last week visits to the hospital and the ICU I've got a half baked sermon on acts in our series but we're going to pivot this week and do something totally different and go to the book of Philippians, and we're going here for two reasons. Providentially, last week, we preached on Acts 16, which is the church plant to Philippi. And so this is when the team comes, and they preach the gospel, and those who receive this letter, the letter of the Philippians, would have been those converts we heard about last week. It's Lydia and her family, it's the demon-possessed girl, it's the jailer and his family. They're all sitting around Lydia's living room and they're getting this letter for the first time, hearing it as we hear it today. And then secondly, one of the members of our church, Brittany, was leading Haley through a Bible study in the book of Philippians. This is the last book she has been studying, and it's been the theme of our times together. And so it's very fitting for those reasons to open Philippians to think about these things with such a weighty thing before the church body. I'm going to read this very precious and I hope very familiar verse to us, Philippians 1.6. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, we trust that you are able. We trust that you are able in all things. We trust that what you begin, you will finish, and what you do, you do supremely well, and all things are held in sovereign loving hands so we entrust ourselves to you our church body to you this family to you in Jesus name amen you know Paul opens this verse with just that typical Pauline apostolic gusto when he says I'm sure of this Like, this is something I'm absolutely sure of. He's not even talking about his own faith. He's talking about this young church plant's faith. He is saying, I am absolutely sure. And I'm sitting here thinking, how can he be so sure? How can he be so sure about this happening in the life of another believer? Where does that confidence come from? Because I don't know about you, but if I'm honest, there are days when my faith feels like the most fragile thing in the world. It's like at my conversion, I was handed this beautiful crystal vase to hold on to and not drop and not let go of. And there are days it looks beautiful and I have it sitting up on my mantle and people say to me, man, your faith looks great and you're a pastor and you pray well in public and you have no scandal. That's a good looking faith. And I think, gee, that is a good looking faith, isn't it? And then there are days it feels like I'm holding this thing with sweaty palms and I'm crossing obstacles I can't see coming. And it feels like I'm gonna drop this thing And break this thing. I don't know about you, believer, but do you struggle with this life of faith? Like, are there those moments, quiet moments, where you have the passing thought is any of this true? Was there really a historic man, Jesus, who lived and died, three days later, got up from the dead with a physical body, breathed again for witnesses to see and touch and eat with? And do we really believe that that same man ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he attends to this service, watching us even now as we speak? Oh, those moments that we think, can that be true? And is there really something after this life? What about those moments when we pray and we're deep in prayer and we know we should pray and then we stop mid-prayer and just wonder, is anybody hearing this? Am I just in the car talking to myself? Have I been doing that all this while? Is there someone on the other side listening to what I pray and I plead? Or those moments when we're neck deep in sin. We're just indulging ourselves in the lusts of the flesh and in materialism and in bitterness and in resentment against another person. And we know it's wrong and we know we should treasure Jesus above our sin. But in that moment, we just have the passing thought. But you know what? I actually like my sin more than I like Jesus right now. And I'm going to apologize for this. And then I'm going to probably do the same thing again and again, and again. Oh, how fragile, how fragile this faith. You know, as we saw Haley's decline, the elders in obedience to James 5.14, which says, if anyone is sick among us, we should gather the elders, we should go, we should anoint them with oil, and we should pray for healing Your church leadership did just that. We, We gathered the elders, we gathered leaders, we went to her home. Many of you were there and we anointed her with oil and we laid hands on her and oh, did we pray. Jesus says, if you have faith like a mustard seed, you can move a mountain. And surely between eight of us, we had something close to a mustard seed. And I remember thinking like, This is going to be a great story for Jesus when she's healed and we get to tell everybody about that. Oh, how marvelous that will be for the kingdom. And I think that was the beginning of the steepest part of her decline and she got sicker and sicker. And I just thought, why do we do that? Why do we get anybody's hopes up? And then I remember going to the hospital room about a week ago and in a room like that it's all tubes and wires and beeps and doctors coming and going who have doctorate degrees and are far smarter than me and it's little old me with a ratty Bible and some Trader Joe's flowers sitting with her reading from 1 Corinthians 15 what is perishable will be raised imperishable. And when we got done praying and I left that room, the devil sorely attacked me and said, is that all you have? Tired words on a dusty page to offer a girl who will probably die? Oh, how fragile this faith, because oh, how fragile we are that carry this faith. You and I, in this Christian life, how fragile we are so how dare Paul stand up and say that he can be sure about anything when things feel so unsure around us and if he's able to say that he must not be talking about me and what's inside of me he must not be talking about you and what's inside of you he must be talking about a surety that's not with us but it dwells somewhere else and that's exactly what he's doing He says in three precious phrases, He began a good work in you. He will bring it to completion. He will unveil the day of Jesus Christ. He has a confidence that is not in us and in our story, but dwells in someone far greater, and that is where his surety lies, and to that surety we will go this morning. Look at these phrases afresh with me. He says, first of all, he who began a good work in you. Now it's important to say right at the outset, there is no completion where there is no initiation. Jesus isn't going to finish what Jesus hasn't already started. So this promise in Philippians 1.6, this is not a verse that you can take and just hand to anybody. This can only be applied to those whom God has already begun his precious work. That's the work that he promises he will complete. And what is that good work that God has begun? Well, as this letter is being read to the house church in Lydia's home in Philippi, she knows exactly what that good work is because she experienced that last week in the book of Acts, Acts 16. She remembers all too well that she was trying to follow God, trying to pursue God. She went to the river with other Jews to learn about the God of Israel, and she earnestly desired to live a right life for him. And she thought that's all there was until this missionary team comes along and explains to her, yes, and God so loved the world that he has sent a way of salvation through his son, that for all who repent and believe, they can have this faith in Him, they can be reconciled to God and assured of their faith. It wasn't that Lydia had everything figured out, it wasn't that she had all of her questions answered, it wasn't that she said, You know what, I'm gonna give this world and try Jesus, I've tried some other things, I'll try Him. It is that, according to Acts 16, The Lord opened her heart. The Lord did a supernatural work, reached down inside of her, opened blind eyes so that she could spiritually see that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. What happened to Lydia on that day? What happens to us in our conversion is a supernatural miracle. But I'll tell you something. It rarely looks like that From my vantage point, it rarely looks like that from this side of heaven. Like when Lydia repented of her sins and trusted in Jesus, there were no fireworks, there was no trumpets, there were no bright lights from heaven. It was just Lydia saying, in Jesus' name, amen, and opening her eyes, and she's on a riverbank with four dudes, and a bridge diagram drawn in the dirt, and it just doesn't look like much. But don't be fooled. The Bible says all of heaven rejoices, all of heaven celebrates, all of heaven glories in God and in this supernatural work. And why do they do that? Because they know that God has begun a good work and whatever God does begin, he is going to bring to completion, and this little convert, Lydia, for whom the team is going to leave, and she's going to be left all alone in her home with her family around her, not being sure what she does as a new believer. What should I read? How should I pray? What does worship look like? With all those unanswered questions from heaven, they know that if God has begun a good work in Lydia, she is as good as seated in the heavenly places This is a finished work as far as God is concerned because he has begun that good work. Heaven erupts. We don't know what to do, but heaven celebrates. My question this morning is, and it is an urgent one, has God begun this good work in you? Jesus will not finish what he has not started. Has he begun this good work in you? I ask you if you have felt that sting, that shame, that guilt of sin that drives you away from God and not towards God, and you have the secret thoughts of things you do that nobody else in the world, not anybody sitting around you right now knows of, and that sin feels like it drives you from God, and I ask you, Have you received this way of salvation? That I can come as I am, that I can come in my sin because of the precious work of God in Christ, and I can confess that openly to God, and he receives me and gives me the righteousness of his son. If there is any part of you this morning that has a curiosity about that, an inkling towards that, wanting a further conversation about that, the Bible says that's actually God reaching into your heart and stirring that in you, and I beg you, do not wait. But instead, speak to someone today about this begun work in you, the good news of the gospel. Now, I know when we see Acts 16, the Lord opened Lydia's heart, and we see Philippians chapter 1, that this is something that God has begun. We're doing a lot of talk about what God starts in salvation, not a lot of talk about what we start in salvation, and that makes some of us a little concerned and confused, right? Because I want to know what I've done to start this salvation work. I want to know what I'm contributing to this, and the fact that God is reaching down and opening hearts, Makes me wonder about the fairness of the gospel. Why does he open this heart and not that heart? Why is he moving towards this person and not that person? And actually, that's a huge question about divine sovereignty and human responsibility. And the early church asked that same question when Paul said these things, which is why you can spend this afternoon in places like Romans chapter 9 through 11 to read Paul's answer. That's an important theological question, but we're not going to go there this morning because we have more important things to do. But I will let you in on a little secret. I have heard that there are no atheists in foxholes. I've heard that when you're there and the bombs begin to drop, that there are few people resisting God All of a sudden prayers go heavenward for their safety. There may be no atheists in foxholes, but I also tell you there are no Arminianists ministering at the deathbed of a believer. They're not there or they shouldn't be there because we're not talking about you and what you've started in your salvation. We are only at that point talking about the glorious news of what God in Christ has done for you. If God wills, and this time comes for you, and I sit with you at your deathbed, or if God wills and this comes for me and you sit with me at my deathbed, if I have already heard a credible profession of faith and I've seen it in your life, then I'm done talking about you and I want to start talking about Jesus and what it is that he is accomplishing in you even in these last few moments of life. We can do this because Paul says... I'm sure he who began a good work in you, he will bring it to completion. It was an absolute treasure to spend the time that I have spent with Haley and with other members of our church who have passed, with Haley in her home and in the hospital room and in the ICU, that even though cancer was having its way with her body, her mind is always has always been alert and engaged and she's been kind and willing to talk about these things and it's a sacred thing to walk through the valley of the shadow of death and just speak honestly about it. What's happening? What's the Lord doing here? And I asked her questions, of course, about her faith. What, what do you think of God right now? And what do you think God thinks of you right now? And are you telling the devil that he's a liar and the father of lies? And I wasn't asking those things to keep weighing or testing her faith. I wasn't trying to discern, is she believing enough or strongly enough? Is she obeying enough? Is she still in God's favor? I'm not asking those questions at all. I'm opening the Bible and asking those Questions to get to this gem, he will bring it to completion. What he has started, he will, you can be assured, bring to completion. I could say it no better than Scottish pastor Robert Murray McShane. He says this famous quote that I love, for every look to yourself, take ten looks to Christ, right? For every time you look at yourself, your faith, what you're doing for God, what you're not doing for God, then turn around and take ten looks to Christ. He is altogether lovely, such infinite majesty, and yet such meekness and grace, and all for sinners, even the chief, live much In the smiles of God. Believer, did you wake up this morning living much in the smiles of God? With Haley, we don't have time to take ten looks to her for only one look to Jesus. And for the life of me, I don't know why I think I have time to take ten looks to myself for every single look to Jesus. Because I tell you, in those sacred moments, when meeting God face to face looms large in that ICU room, it's not about you. And it's not about me. And it's not about what we did for God and what ministry we accomplished in the kingdom or what ministry we left undone and never got around to. It's not even about whether I've been a good dad or a good mom or a good son or a good daughter. It's not even about whether I ever got the upper hand on the addiction that consumes me. It's not about whether I ever got out from under my doubts or depression or anxiety we're not talking about any of those things. We are instead together at our deaths thinking all and only about the sweet, precious, glorious, all satisfying person of Jesus. Amen. That's what we're going to do together. And I am sure of this. You began a good work, we'll bring it to completion at the day of. Of Jesus Christ. That day is coming. That day is on its way. It was called the day of the Lord in the Old Testament. There was a shadowy idea of what it was. But the New Testament has revealed it for what it is. It is God's triumph in Christ. The day of the Lord has become the day of Jesus Christ. And no human being escapes that day. You can beat cancer in this life. And you will see that day. You can succumb to cancer in this life and you will see that day. Your death may not come, Jesus may return and you will see that day. And for an unbeliever, it's terrifying to hear a verse like Hebrews 9.27. It's appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment. Ready or not, I will see him. That's a terrifying thought. But oh, for the believer, this is a day to celebrate. This is a day of days because it is the culmination of all that God began and all that God is bringing to completion. And because that's true, I can sit with a 24-year-old and read Philippians 3.20. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly, longingly, lovingly, eagerly await for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious one. When we see God face to face, there's not a believer here who will say, I did it. I made it. By the skin of my teeth, I'm here. I did it. No, friend. On that day, we will bow, we will worship, and we will say, he did it. What he started, I didn't think he could do it, but he brought to completion. And this is his glorious day of celebration. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Come, Lord Jesus, come. I pray only that you would tarry for those who are ready to come to repentance, to do just that and know you and run to you. But then we pray for this celebratory day of Jesus Christ when all of us will meet you face to face and we will know more than we could ever know right now that you who began this work of faith that feels so fickle and feels so fragile is your ultimate victory because you do all things well. I pray that you would bring that day and I pray that we will celebrate that day in spirit and in truth. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.